The following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Other Wrestling Show. My name is Joel and I'm here as always with Mike. And we're going to react to night one of Fighter Fest, which was such a big show with so much going on. We decided to give you an all lightning round edition of the other wrestling show. Lightning round. So much for an e- easy edit. I'm going to have to change that later. Yeah, you can leave it. It's fine. It's fine. Joel, let's start with the main event, the first ever AEW coffin match between Darby Allen and Ethan Page. And my initial thought on this, I really thought we were going to get no outside interference when both of them came down to the ring. And boy, was that a naive wrestling thought on my end. Uh, This match was pretty wild. I'm going to ask you a question. Did it feel a little like it started at like four, like nine fifty, like 46, 45. Like it felt like the card was either too smushed because I thought this was going to have a lot. This was going to be longer. It felt a little short to me. Yeah, we've talked about before, like the total number of segments tends to be negatively correlated with the quality of the episode. I don't think mm-hmm. that was the case here, but there were 15 distinct segments crap. on this episode of Dynamite. And, and when I say segment, I mean like different thing happening. I'm mm-hmm. not talking about like cutting to commercial and coming back. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if we still did a rundown like we used to, it would have taken forever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I was concerned that this match was going to feel like rushed. The nice thing about Darby Allen is that he just moves so freaking fast that Mm -hmm. even with only about 15 minutes to work this match, they did a lot. I mean, they did a lot in this match and uh, really amped things up by almost immediately disconnecting the bottom rope. Like, screw you, bottom rope. You're not (laughs) necessary here. We don't need you. And uh, yeah, I mean, there was a lot to like in this match. And I I think my question to you is, did the right person win? So I, I was thinking, I was thinking almost the same thing throughout this match because in the other wrestling company where we have histories of these matches, like, and the buried alive matches too, I'm kind of grouping these two together. Like it's very like the, the faces lose these matches a lot. Like this isn't a match where like you automatically assume the face is going to go over. And I don't think it would have hurt Darby to eat the L here. Um, and I think it would have, I think the benefit for page outweighed any negative of Darby taking the L. So I agree with you. I, I was, I went into this match thinking Ethan page would get the win and then the baby faces would get some post-match, you know, victory over them and beat down or you could have had Darby lose the match page saying oh this is not an, i'm not done yet and then still set up that final spot where darby went through the coffin at the end so i agree i i don't i think ethan page is too talented to really get that kind of you know uh archer kind of early Brody lee slowdown from losing his like first big singles match i think that this team has too much going for it for that to be the case and it wasn't a title match. I think that's a big difference here is that when you lose the title match, it really does feel like it can stall your momentum. But 
yeah, I, I would have preferred to have Paige go over here, but um, it was a fun match regardless. Uh, some of the spots here were nuts. The um, the use of the hook of the lower turnbuckle I've never seen mm-hmm. before. And I don't know if you noticed, he broke that chain off of Darby Allen when he twisted it. Like that chain snapped in half. I think it was gimmicked that way because you don't actually want to gank somebody down <laughs> by the neck. It's Darby uh, Allen, though, man. He could have just said, no, don't gimmick this. <laughs> no, I think it was gimmicked. And I think that was the whole thing is like, you're going to pull on this hook. It's going to break the necklace and I'm going to back bump super hard. He uh, fucking rocked to the ground. Like, that's an incredibly dangerous thing just from like a whiplash perspective to actually do that spot for real. So, uh, I mean, maybe it wasn't gimmicked. Maybe they just knew that, okay, this necklace is going to come apart. Because yeah. we don't actually want to crush this guy's windpipe or, you know, give him whiplash or any of the possible consequences of doing something like that. Uh, but yeah, that was cool. Uh, the spot that really got me in this match was the ego's edge off the turnbuckle mm-hmm. onto the stairs. So yeah. much that could go wrong there. So many sharp, pointy edges on those stairs. And you don't have a ton of control. Like it demonstrates the trust between these two athletes and how much Darby is, you know, comfortable with taking that kind of a bump Mm -hmm. from someone like Ethan page. And, you know, they have the history and the chemistry. So, you know, this was a spot that I thought we were going to see the setup to it. And then there was going to be an escape of some kind. Cause (laughs) like, but time and time again, you know, Darby Allen is crazy enough to take those bumps. So yeah. um, I, I think there were enough big spots in this match that both guys come out smelling like roses. So I'm not worried too much about the impact this is going to have on Ethan Page. Like you said, it wasn't a title match, and that does seem to make a difference. Uh, but yeah, I would have liked to see Ethan Page get a big signature win. But, you know, I, I think I'm going to be waiting on that for a while based on how things are going. Yeah, and of course they smell like roses. They got smushed into those flowers in the casket at the end. So I choose my words very carefully. <laughs> um, I will say there were two minor things of this match I didn't like, and it really was the camera work. We missed that um, stinger splash on the outside because they cut too early. And then they had the big spot of Darby jumping off the thing and being caught during the commercial. So... That was that was frustrating. Just two minor things. But um, this was really fun. I really like I, I commented like, man, the coffins in WWE look way nicer than this one. Well, you can't have Darby do a coffin drop through a real coffin <laughs> like like you would die. <laughs> well, you know, you say that, but we've seen that in Lucha Underground where someone did a similar spot and dented the crap out of a metal coffin uh so you know yeah he's not going through a metal coffin he's not going through (laughs) it but you know there's things you can do but yeah it's like putting the garbage can over somebody's head and then hitting the garbage can you know it's it's similar it's just a metal coffin uh anyway if we're truly going to make this a lightning round episode i feel like we we need to move on uh so i want to talk about um, and this is, we're not going in order of importance here. This is lightning round. We can go where we want, deal with it. Um, I, I gotta go to my dude Miro. Um, I, I, I love these promos and I loved his so explanation good. of how he became 
God's favorite champion. And, you know, that he forgives all of his opponents after oh, he destroys them. And so good. It's, I, I just, I love it. I love these promos. I love this character. Um, he looks incredible. Like, yeah. the, he, he just keeps refining this look a little bit more every week. And I love the new title. It looks yes. so good. White strap is always, always a plus for a championship belt. Always. So white strap and black strap. Like those are the two that are need my a red favorites. one or a blue one. No, no or red, no blue, purple no green. One. No, get it out of here. <laughs> now, if you want to have the environmentally friendly belt like Daniel Bryan did, I support that. Everything else, though, black or white. Um, what I, I, I love these segments, Joel, because they're they're so funny yet also like intimidating as fuck at the same time like it's the perfect balance because i'm finding myself laughing most of the time but then i'm also like oh yeah he just bent darby allen in half in that clip um it's such a good gimmick and you have to feel like this is truly like a creation by miro like they're just like what do you want your character to be and he's like well i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this and the line that always gets me is my hot wife who can do the splits. Like <laughs> just the tonight though, tonight though. Uh, and his line about himself, who's also hot, but was lost. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's so good. Yeah. It also is like subtle shade at WWE too. Cause it was all about what, how he got to AEW and everything. So he, He's just a 10 out of 10 every week, man. Like if we really wanted to, he could be in our stock up, stock down segment every week because he's just gold right now. I am ready for him to have more of a longer term story with this championship. Um, and we kind of see this with TNT title holders. They do these smaller mini matches to start and then they actually start having some longer, more meaningful feuds. So I keep running through my head who I want to see challenge Miro and I think a really good person would be once Moxley you know is kind of done with the elite I think Moxley and Miro could be a really good story Two former WWE guys with former prominent wives in that promotion as well um I think there's a lot you could do with them and I feel like the match would be fantastic so um and remember Miro originally uh called out the champions and I think wasn't Moxley one of the champions at the time or was Omega the champion at the time? I think Omega was already the champion at oh, that champ- point. Uh, scratch um, that. But still, I mean, that's a feud that would work pretty well yeah. and two great talkers. So that mm-hmm. aspect of it would, uh, would definitely hold up. And uh, Lana and Renee are both uh, wrestling free agents. Just saying. You wanted to, All right, what else you got for, for me? Uh, I want to go. I'm going to what I thought was the second most important, biggest thing on the show tonight and that was the the elite hangman page dark order segment this was art joel like (laughs) like like hangman coming out to challenge was you know that's pretty cookie cutter but (laughs) i loved when the elite came out and don nick and gallows all just reiterated you're not that guy you're not that three times in a row and then matt just going in there and just laying these just verbal attacks on page and like hurtful shit like in the context of we were best friends we've traveled the world together and like yeah 
Hangman Page left the elite, but he'll tell the truth. So in Matt's eyes, Hangman Page abandoned the elite. He left his friends. He was the weak link of the jabs about his alcoholism. Like, and the fact that I was wanting to see kind of like the page stand his grounds, like more so like just like, mm. and he, he almost, I thought he was going to knock him the fuck out when he actually hit him. Like that was stiff as fuck. Um, that was a stiff shot. And then I loved the, the, the promo from Kenny and I love what we're going to get out of this. A five versus five, the elite versus hangman page and any of his dark order friends. And if Paige and the Dark Order win, they get title matches. And this is how you extend this feud to All Out. We were worried that this match would be thrown on one of these uh, July pay-per-view events. Uh, this is going to go to All Out, and I'm really excited, Joel. So what did you think about this? Like, What were you feeling as you watched this? Because I thought this was beautiful. I enjoy when my wrestling product respects my intelligence. And I feel like mm -hmm. this is a segment that had really good internal logic. Hangman Page comes out to demand the championship match that he is owed. The elite come out to try to distract him from that challenge. And then they issue a challenge for a different match after he says, no, I'm here because I want a match. And I think you do too. And... So they offer him a match he doesn't want. So he creates a stipulation that he does want. And then the heels go, you know, okay, ante up one more level. And ultimately we get a really great match that makes sense. The stakes make sense for both parties involved. And I think too often there's a situation where the match really only matters to one side where mm -hmm. if I win, I get this. And if you win, Nothing happens for you. Yeah. So he made a point to say that too. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, like the logic was there. It was explicit. It was right out in front and it was just done in a very uh, significant way. Like you said, with the, the comments that were made saying that Adam page was the next great wrestling oh tragedy. God. What a line and invoking There's a lot of like, wrestling tragedies. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, David Shoemaker wrote an entire book about deceased wrestlers, and I've mm -hmm. read it. There's a lot of tragedy in there. It's so, sad. you know, it it's not an idle comment to say something like that and to put that in a promo. And I think the levels that they're going to with this feud are, you know, elevating the storyline, elevating the stakes and really bringing all of the parties involved yeah. into these high profile matches and promo segments. So I like that this is going to, you know, elevate the dark order and, yep. you know, That's the point I want to talk about too. Yeah. I'm just That's really excited for this match. I think this is the going to be the first kind of survivor series yeah. style match that we've seen in AEW. So I'm excited to see how they book that. There's just a lot to look forward to here. Yeah, man, Th those Survivor Series matches were always full of dr like drama, intrigue. My my favorite is always the Team Bischoff versus Team Austin, where Shawn Michaels had to fight like the final three on his own. So I know AEW can pull this match off. And yeah, the Dark Order are big time players in this. And we kind of wondered what the Dark Order was going to be after the passing of Brody Lee. And they kind of have been this feel good comedy act, but 
it's nice to see them get into this bigger story here. And I love the fact that, you know, if they win, the Dark Order is going to get rewarded for this too. Like, yeah, that wasn't their intention. They were helping their friends. But I think it's a it's a good lesson that, you know, being there for your friends is a positive and good things can come from it, even if you weren't necessarily looking for any reward. Like they look- also, I really like the role reversal this week with, you know, Adam Page putting his title shot on the line to try mm-hmm. to get a title shot for members of the Dark Order. And you could see in that moment, Evil Uno trying to talk him out of it and being like, no, no, yep. no, don't don't take the bait. Don't do this. And he's like, no, yeah. screw it. Like, you had my back. I'm going to have your back. And it's great. It's just a really nice, neat bow tied into the middle of this story. Yeah, it's it's truly wonderful. I'm 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 enjoying this story so much and Dude, the payoff is going to be great. It's going to it's this is going to be this is going to be a fun couple months here with the Dark Order and the Elite Hangman Page Kenny Omega. So, I think we've said enough about this. Joel, what do you got for me? Well, I wasn't expecting to hear a graphic description of a horse being put down <laughs> on AEW Dynamite. Uh and I didn't expect to like it, but we got a really savage promo from mm-hmm. Malachi Black, Tommy End. They're using both names, so I'm just going to call him yeah. Tommy End because i that's what I prefer. Um, referring to Arn Anderson as a prize stallion who's just doesn't have it anymore and needs to be put down. And, uh, I mean, you could kind of flip that around and say that, you know, maybe Cody is the one who needs to be put down. The promo mm-hmm. works on both levels. But, jeez brutal stuff yeah i love seeing this impassioned infuriated cody this is where he gets reckless this is where he strays away from arn's teachings i expect him to take the l here whenever they do finally face off and i i wouldn't be surprised if it's just you know five minutes of cody getting the absolute shit kicked out of him (laughs) and then a one two three uh, because this is impetuous Cody. This is Cody making rash yeah. decisions. And uh, I, I like the direction that this is moving in. Can't have picked a better person for uh, Tommy End to come in and feud with. It immediately rockets him to the top and makes him one of the most interesting things in the company. Yeah, he it, Cody is the, the standard bearer, man. He, if you get put into a feud with Cody, it's like being in the main event. Like it's a huge match. It's a huge place to be. Weird question though. If my dad got kicked in the face, I wouldn't let my mentor go face the guy who kicked my dad in the face. I would go fight the guy who kicked my dad in the face. Where the hell is Brock Anderson in all this? <laughs> like, like I kind of, I I'm, I'm, I, I it could possibly be part of the story. And I would love to see Brock tell Cody like, Hey, I thank you for what you're doing, but I need to do this. And that be Tommy ends. First match is just beating the living snot out of Brock Anderson, this foolish young boy. What are you trying to do? And he just kicks his head into space. Um, But yeah, I I also love the, the imagery of Cody and all white Tommy end and all black. I thought that was a really cool look. Um, I feel like sometimes like the ring, what they're wearing, the ring or their gear can kind of be kind of corny, but 
I thought this really worked because um, they both looked good too. Like Tommy Yang rocks that black suit and Cody pulled so, off the white suit. So that's the thing, right? Like I saw a lot of people being like, oh, this is very heavy handed, good versus evil, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, I didn't even notice that. I just, <laughs> I just looked at them and said, man, Cody's looking fly. Yeah. Man, Tommy's looking fly. Like, that doesn't even matter to me. They just, they were both wearing those because they both look great. Like, yeah, we don't need to necessarily read into the colors that they're wearing. It's not that big of a deal. Um, Yeah, it's, this was fun. Uh, I'm going to move on to my next topic, Joel. And thank you. For, thank you for leaving me the Christian segments and matches. Like you're, you're a good man for doing that. So I'm going to talk about, Christian Cage versus Matt Hardy. And this was fun. This was fun. Uh, I think this was Matt Hardy's best like one-on-one match in AEW. And I think this was a perfect combination because they can work the same speed. They have a long history together. And I really liked them hyping up that this was 23 years in the making. And I think I heard Shivani say at one point that Christian has never beaten Matt Hardy in a one-on-one match. I don't know if that's actually true because I'm sure they've wrestled a thousand times, but um, it was a, it was a good good use of their history to make this match feel even bigger. And this was fun, man. I I, I don't I, this could have been just been a really slow sluggish match. I still would have enjoyed it because it was so cool seeing these guys these two guys in the ring, guys that I grew up watching, and like they. They started feuding when we were like eight years old, Joel. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, put that in perspective here for a second. We're 31. Oh, you're 30. I'm 31. Like, that's a long time. And I always preferred Matt to Jeff. I always preferred Christian to Edge. So these were my two guys. These were my guys. So to see him wrestle and have put on a really good match in 2021 is just heaven for me. Yeah, I thought this was a really fun match. I only have one complaint, which was, and it's it's not just with this match. It's this trope in general. I really hate the near countout spot where you don't stir at all yeah, yeah. until nine and then magically pop up and get back in the ring. And then in this <laughs> match, not only that, but he popped he up, it. got back in the ring, immediately <laughs> hit the kill switch and won the match. And it's like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, I kind of loved it, man. I thought it was funny. <laughs> I mean, but funny isn't the goal. It, you know, you're talking about all this history. You're talking about this, this match, this 23 years in the making and to have it end in, in kind of a cornball fashion, like, nah, get out of here with that. I think maybe there was a timing <laughs> issue that led to the finish happening sooner than was intended. Um, because like we talked about earlier, there was just a lot on this show. Uh, but overall, really, really great match. And uh, these two complement each other perfectly. Yeah, yeah, sh- for sure. All right, what do you got for me, dude? Uh, so I got to talk about my dude, Ricky Starks. I, I called this happening. The stroke daddy is now the <laughs> FTW champion. And, uh, I like this because, you know, we talked about last week. Maybe this isn't how Brian cage leaves team Taz. Maybe this is mm-hmm. how Ricky Starks 
leaves Team Taz. And they really swerved us because they dropped hints that Taz was kind of in Brian Cage's corner. And then we had Powerhouse Hobbs not letting Ricky Starks take the belt Mm -hmm. into the ring. And it's like, oh, man, they're really kind of putting Ricky out on, on an island here. And then, of course, Swerve Hobbs hits Brian Cage with the belt. Starks gets the win. Uh, looked great in this match, too. Yep. Uh, that powerbomb spot. I, I mean, it's one thing to do a carry powerbomb out into the middle of the ring. It's a whole other thing to pop the guy up before you bring him down for the powerbomb. Yeah, and like Brian the last Cage ride. is huge. <laughs> yes. He's gigantic. I, I tweet this almost every time he wrestles, but like if you haven't gotten the chance to see Brian Cage in person, run and do it because he he moves in a way that he shouldn't be able to. And you really don't get it until you see him in person because you showed me Lucha Underground clips of him before I actually saw him in person. And I was completely sold on him after I saw him in person because he he, it's just incredible. And not only did they like they had, you know, Hobbs stop him from Ricky from using the belt. Taz on commentary was very neutral in this match. Like I thought he did a really good job of kind of selling. Well, anyone can win. Like they kind of framed it. Like these guys just need to beat each other up and then they'd be cool. You know, I, I thought he actually was even leaning subtly towards Brian cage. And one of the things that, was brought up early on in the commentary was I think it was Shivani asked him like, where are their heads at going into this match? Mm-hmm. And Taz straight up said, Ricky Starks wouldn't talk to me. Um, I had a conversation with Brian cage, but Ricky Starks wouldn't talk to me. And that was like, Oh, this is interesting. Maybe, maybe it's going to be like what we talked about last week. And and then, you know, it was just all a setup and I loved it. I really enjoy getting fooled. Um, And I think sometimes that's what wrestling is all about. And it's different from like, you know, the the kind of cheap surprise swerve of we're just going to do this thing that you don't expect as -hmm. opposed to this felt like it was earned. And it's a big difference. I love being fooled when it feels earned. I don't like it when it's just a crazy swerve that doesn't make any damn sense. And if you would have asked me four weeks ago, I thought the result that happened tonight was the logical conclusion. But the work they've done over the last month to build this match up made me questioning that. Which to the point on the show last week, I said, hey, maybe this is the way that Ricky Starks leaves Team Taz, not Cage. So they took a very obvious endpoint a month ago and they clouded that up and gave us a good uh, finish and a surprise twists so very good excellent stuff here um do you have anything else to say about this before i I give you my next item go ahead um very quickly on this one uh why was andrade having subtitles when he was speaking english so is uh, this that like part of his character they've done it with all of his promos thus far with the exception of when he spoke in the ring Okay, uh, I guess I just noticed it for the first time. Like, so that was interesting. But yeah, they did the, the same real... thing last week, and I, I mean, I, I I get the impression that they don't want to just put up subtitles when he's speaking Spanish, and I can I guess I can kind of understand the logic behind that. Um, but it is a little bit odd because he 
speaks when he is speaking English, it's clear. Yeah. It's not like I don't hard understand to understand. It. Yeah. So that was weird. But uh, I, I think it was really interesting of him asking where's death triangle. And that's a group I didn't necessarily picture him potentially feuding with right away. And it's going to be interesting to see the loyalties of Pentagon and Phoenix when it comes to their friend pack versus, you know, fellow luchador Andrade El Idolo. Um, So I, I'm just super excited because I did not expect this combination and Andrade and pack could be a five-star show stealing match on any show they're on. So Andrade and any member of Death Triangle. Yeah, sorry. Any member of Death Triangle. (laughs) That's the thing about Death Triangle, right? They're three of the best workers in the world. Uh, You know, I've said this on this podcast before. There's an argument to be made that Phoenix is the best wrestler in the world. Like, that argument exists. You can have Mm -hmm. it. It's a real argument. Um, So, yeah, give me Andrade and anybody from Death Triangle, and I'm here for it. And I think it makes sense, right? If he's coming in as lucha royalty, what do you do? You seek out the top luchador in the company and you take them out. You establish yourself in that area and then you move on to establishing yourself as the top guy in the entire company. So I think it makes sense. Or maybe he wants to join them and make the death square. That's dumb. Well, way to take my dumb joke and make me feel bad for saying it. What do you have for me, Joel? It was a dumb joke, uh, but it was it's a joke that had to be made. Did it, though? Did it? It did. It did. Uh, so I'm going to talk about two segments here, kind of linked together. We saw uh, Mox defend his IWGP US Heavyweight Championship against Carl Anderson in a really fun match. Uh, But what was more interesting is what happened afterwards, which was Lance Archer invoking his rematch clause from a year and a half ago (laughs) and asking for a Texas death match, which Moxley subsequently accepted. So next week, uh, a week after defending the title against Carl Anderson, Mox is putting his title on the line again against Lance Archer. Archer in a Texas death match. Two thoughts on this one. The match itself should be super fun. I don't think either of us are questioning this. These are guys are going to put on a great match. It's going to be pretty violent. It's going to be fun. The second is what is Lance Archer doing? (laughs) Like he attacked. What's his face from that MMA thing last week. He had that little mini feud with Miro. Like, it feels like a consistent theme of our podcast is what are they doing with Archer? I I think for me, like, if not now, when, right? When it comes to Lance Archer, pull the trigger already. Give the guy a big signature win. Give us a reason to start taking him seriously again, because squash matches aren't going to do it. Slamming Dan Lambert isn't going to do it. Like, we need to see something, some significant victories in order to really think that anything is ever going to happen with Lance Archer in AEW. And so he's I not, like be- he's Archer. not beating I- Moxley next week. He's not beating Moxley next week. I think he could. It's a hardcore match. Anything can happen in a hardcore match. It's a great way to 
move this title if they want to. And here's another reason why it could happen. It's partially in the hands of Tony Khan and it's partially in the hands of whoever is booking NJPW right now, because at the end of the day, it's still an NJPW title. And if they want the title off Moxley, even if Lance Archer isn't who they want it on long-term, if they want it off of Moxley, this is a good opportunity to do that. I think they put it on Moxley to highlight him on NJPW before the pandemic. I have a hard time feeling they're going to have him drop it after 18 months when things are finally getting better in a lot of places on Dynamite, non NJ, even if it's an NJPW America show, which there's talks of there being one in the next few months. So that that's why I don't think he's beating beating Moxley for this belt. But we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, I real I real I love Archer. He's really talented. He's really good, but he has not done anything. He's put on matches. They've been good, but he hasn't had any meaning, anything meaningful story wise since he got here. So, yeah, that's that's my thoughts there on on this stuff. But um, I'm going to go. I'm just looking through my notes because we're at the point where I'm like, which of the 15 segments have we not talked about yet? Um, I really liked the um, Britt Baker promo, and I think the line of. Yeah, you're on top of the food chain, but I'm off the menu. She just drops great lines every single week. Like that line was great. And I loved her saying like, Vicky, the reason you're relevant is because of your last name. Like, <laughs> And like that's some internet wrestling community talk there too, because Vicky isn't a necessarily well-liked figure with wrestling fans. So um, she's she's just great. Uh, I'm really excited for that match next week. Um Obviously, I am not expecting a title change at all, um, but I do think this is a kind of perfect first challenger for Baker. And Nyla is a former champion, so there's clout to beating a former champion. Definitely. Um, I, I thought this was a great promo. I like the food chain off menu piece because like that kind of ties into her whole fast food thing as well. I feel like we still haven't gotten past the burgers getting destroyed. <laughs> And I like that. I'm going to call that continuity. Uh, and just, it, you know, it is Britt Baker on the mic. It's just gold every mm-hmm. single time. It's gold. Yeah. So I got one last thing that I wanted to talk about. And then I feel like I've hit on everything that I, I care to discuss, which was Chris Jericho, Sean Spears and MJF. I really enjoyed this segment. And we talked about, these matches for the five labors of Jericho need to have interesting stipulations. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, we, we specifically talked about, is this going to be a chairs match? And we're almost right. It is going to be a (laughs) chairs chairs match match. for Sean Spears. (laughs) Sean Spears will be having a chairs match with Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho will be having a wrestling match with Sean Spears. And I really, really like this. Um, I I thought Chris Jericho is like, superhero choices were a little strange. Like dude, Superman would like straight up just kill you. Like it's not even, it's not even a thing. (laughs) So, I mean, and zombie Muhammad Ali, nobody's beating zombie Muhammad Ali in a fight. Like, come on, man. Um, I mean, unless it's like zombie George Foreman. Those are not the same thing. (laughs) Anyway. Um, Yeah. 
I, I enjoyed this and I, I do like, uh, how they're doing this. Um, yeah, we, I was a little down on the, the challenge last week, but I like that. Like it has its own little frame on the, when they show the match, like the five labors of Jericho at the top. Like I, I, I kind of enjoy stuff like this, like of running the gauntlet. Um, you know, one of my favorite stories ever was Ric Flair and, if he lost his next match, he retired and he had to go on this massive winning streak. So I like Jericho doing this. I think it will work. I love the stipulation because it's, it's different. It's different. I like the fact that Jericho is getting screwed even more so, and it will be fun. So now I'm curious of what other stipulations he'll have against the other members of the inner, uh, of the pinnacle, um, you know, two on one handicap against FTR makes a lot of sense. Uh, but what is he going to do against Wardlow? Like, Hopefully lose. Cool. Hopefully lose. Yeah, I'm telling you, man, it'd be awesome if Jericho gets through like the first three labors and he loses the last one. Like, I would love that, but they won't do that. So, Joel, I got one last thing, and I'm kind of surprised you didn't bring it up. Yuka Sakazazi, Suka, ah, Yuka Sakazaki is back. Did I say that right the second time? Yes, you did. And awesome. I figured you wanted to, to talk about this. I know you were excited to see her return, so... I wanted to leave that one out there for you. <laughs> I mean, the match itself was solid. You know, it was these are two great workers. They didn't really have a lot of time. But what I loved was the crowd reaction to Yuka. And I'm going to tie this into something that happened on the leader worldwide leader in sports this week. Uh, but Stephen A. Smith basically said that, like, it's a problem that the face of the MLB is Japanese with a translator, Otani. And my whole point was if they're talented enough, you should be able to market them. The fact that Yuka hasn't been on dynamite in 16 months and other than the women's tournament earlier this spring hasn't been on any AEW programming. The fact that she got this response from the crowd, go fuck yourself, Stephen A. Smith, like (laughs) talent and having the fans behind you will outweigh any perceived bullshit. You can come up with why someone shouldn't be a star. And Yuka is great. This was such, it's so good to have her back on TV. And I think she could also be a very viable challenger for Britt Baker in a few months as she stacks up the wins because we know she can work and they would put on a great match. So, so happy to have Yuka back. There are wrestlers out there and then there have been, you know, since wrestling was a thing that you just get mad when somebody hurts them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and part of it is like the way that they register pain, uh, just it evokes so much sympathy. Uh, I felt like Rey Mysterio was like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Marco stunt is like that. Uh, and Yuka Sakazaki definitely has that going on. Like I just get upset whenever like she takes a really hard bump. And, uh, I, I loved this match. I thought that, uh, magical girl splash, long range uh was incredible uh she moves so well and uh she does things that you just don't see that often uh in a wrestling ring and i I really enjoy the uniqueness of her character and of her working style Mm -hmm. yep and uh another wrestler who i always felt bad when they got beat down was zach gowan because he only had one leg yeah he he was always in that category too like when brock Mm -hmm. lesnar threw him down the stairs Holy crap. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. I got a little off track there. Um, 
yeah, I think that's it, Joel. Did we cover everything? I did you do you have the segments written down? Like, did we? I, I do. Miss there are a anything? couple that we didn't. Hit. What did we, we not didn't touch talk on? About QT pouring a protein shake on Tony Schiavone. Oh, um, that's who should challenge Britt Baker for the title next because she needs to come and revenge her BFF. You don't fuck with Tony <laughs> Schiavone and not feel the repercussions of DMD. So uh, there was also uh, Tully Blanchard getting completely punked by a proud and powerful. Oh, that was um, funny with the fake and crowbar. shaking a crowbar at them. <laughs> Interesting choice there. Uh, uh, and then the only other thing that we did not touch on, if my notes serve, is the match between Sammy Guevara and Wheeler Utah, which oh, uh, yeah. Wheeler Short Utah apparently is uh, loosely affiliated with the best friends. And yes. um has been doing stuff on AEW Dark. So I'm not super familiar with him, but I was very impressed. He looked yeah. great in this match, moved really well. Of course, Sammy Guevara can have a great match with literally anyone. Um, but I think the difference, I, though, is that he kept up with Sammy. Like yeah. in some of his running the ropes, maneuvering up and down the turnbuckle, like it was very similar and to the point where like it went up a notch when they were they were running around the ring so yeah i don't know much about you wheeler um i think he has a good look um good looking dude good group to be associated with i like how we're just gradually building more and like factions are getting bigger and bigger and bigger like the best friends were just chucky e. t and trent <laughs> originally and now we're, we're we're doing best friends worldwide so um we'll have to see what what they do here but yeah joel what a show I feel like they the last few weeks have just been ever since they got back on their normal schedule. I guess that was only this week and last week, but either way, <laughs> two really solid weeks of dynamite. Fighter Fest night three should be really good. And two. did I say three? Yeah. What was the first week? Road Rager. Road Rager. Yeah. Um, oh, and just props to the Austin crowd too. Like they were hyped. It was a hot crowd. And I think we got used to the Daily's Place crowd for the last year and a half, and not to take any away from them. It was a full crowd, full capacity, which still makes me a little, eh, but it was loud. They were very uh, involved. So I feel a little bit better about a full crowd in Austin than I do in Miami. Um, Because it is Austin, you know? Yeah. And Jesus was in attendance. Yes. So, you know. No COVID there. Um, But it's in Dallas next week, and Dallas is a a more... uh, not dumb town compared to some Ish. other parts of Texas. I mean, it's not Austin, but it, it compared, like if you look at Dallas, Fort Worth, Dallas versus Fort Worth, there's a big contrast between the two. So That's uh, true. it will still be a little better. So, and when they get up to Boston, whenever that will be, it says October. I don't believe you, AEW. I don't believe you at all. Yeah. I've got to have to book like a last minute flight for that one. <laughs> Well, like, I feel like once we're like, if they start advertising it on the bottom of the screen, I feel like we're good because I, I don't remember them doing any of that for the Boston show. But also, there's no tickets to sell because the show's been sold out since it was went on sale last November, 2019, November. So I'm ranting. It was a pandemic. It's fine. All right, guys, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Other Wrestling Show. Twitter at OWS underscore pod. You can find the podcast on two. I fucked up. You can follow Joel at the other Joel. You can follow me at Michael underscore Aranda. You can get the podcast everywhere. You get your podcast, Apple podcast, tune in, Stitcher, Spotify. 
there's a podcast app, we're there. Check it out. Uh, you can email us at the other wrestling show at gmail.com. And Joel, anything to say before I take this dog for a walk and edit this podcast? Join the dark order. Join the d- dark order. You sounded like comic book guy when you said that. <laughs> Remember, everybody, <laughs> life's a work. Duck the clothesline. And happy wrestling. Bye.